Searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pitch Please podcast. It's Mike here again. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Grant from Good Lawyer. Welcome to the show, Grant. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Listen, let's let's learn a little bit about you uh, before we talk about Good Lawyer. Can you uh, maybe kick us off with what your role is at Good Lawyer? Um, and maybe even a little bit about your journey of how you got here. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm the head of growth and one of the co-founders of Good Lawyer. Uh, there are four co-founders. So we got a couple lawyers and a couple product and dev people on the team. Uh, I came in when the product was kind of ready to be sold and I do sales and marketing. So I was there to sell it. Um, so that made a pretty good fit. Uh, my background before that generally is uh, pretty one note. I kind of I worked at different startups and in that space for almost all of my career, I think about eight years now, um, doing kind of a mix between sales and marketing. I've done about 50-50, uh, which I find really interesting because I think my original education, my undergrad was all marketing. And then I kind of got into sales because it's just the right thing at the right time. I was working for Uber overseas and they needed salespeople, not marketing people. So I jumped into that and kind of loved it. And then find that the combo was quite useful. So I continued on that path, um, picked up my MBA in the same topic uh, a couple of years ago and uh, continue to try to build big companies. That's my, that's my big goal. That's super cool. So, so you're the, the sales and marketing background. You are not the lawyer of the team, but there are lawyers in the team. How, how did you meet uh, the rest of the co-founders or where are, do, do you know them from before? Uh, good question. Most of them knew each other before. Not me though. I am... Um, I met them at an event, I guess, and one of the co-founders had worked with my brother on a project at one point. So Parker, our CTO, uh, was at this event and recognized me and we kind of caught up a bit and he was telling about this company he's building called Good Lawyer. And uh, I was telling him kind of how I would be doing that event because they were just running around with cards kind of frantically, uh, very enthusiastically trying to convince random people to try their thing. Um so I sketched it out the next morning. We met up at a cafe and Parker's like, how would you do it? And I was like, well, here's how I would do it. And I just napkined out like a simple like Google ad strategy. Cause like, I think you're going to find more people, uh, easier to sell to people who are already looking for what you're doing. Um, he's like, I like the napkin, takes the napkin back to the team. They like the napkin. They brought me in and then I had a quick chat with them and, uh, realized that they were going to try it as a pilot. So I kind of got brought on as a consultant originally. Um, I got like so, a bunch of kind of their So you make really, stuff. really good, you make really good napkins. Yeah, the napkin I'm sure should be framed. It's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that was, I mean, maybe that's part of what I like to do. I like to try and break down systems and things into simple things people can understand. Because I think yeah. uh, in the early stages of building a business, it is a lot about execution and having a group of people aligned on a concept is easier if the concept is simple. Um, so I, I think they liked the way I was able to simplify it. Yeah, 100%. A big piece of sales and marketing and leadership is is creating that clarity and simplifying things down. So, And you've been with Good Lawyer for how long? Yeah, about three years now. Okay. Yeah. And you were like employee, what, like number four or five? 
Uh, being employee number one, I think. Oh, um, wow. So but, literally yeah. outside of the founding team, you'd be the first employee. Yeah. In fact, it was so close that I was eventually extended the title of co-founder. So I'm now considered part of the founding team. I guess the idea was that we didn't have much of a company before we had sales. That's uh, that's super cool. So uh, you said one or two lawyers, a CTO with the technical background, and then you bring the sales and marketing chops. Is that sort of the the right mix of the team? Yeah, I think it was a Suit. right time thing for sure. Like when I when I joined, they had something that I was ready to sell. And like I've joined startups that aren't ready for that. They're not, they don't have enough production to actually need a full time person selling stuff. Good lawyer was ready for that, so it was. I couldn't have been any earlier with my skill set and so before good lawyer have you ever been an entrepreneur uh or you mentioned you know you've, you've talked to some other startups has this sort of always been something you knew you wanted to work in or work with like early stage startups yeah this has always been kind of the thing i had a really interesting experience because i worked at an agency that served startups so i worked with a bunch of them when i was doing marketing um then i went i worked at a couple different startups i worked at Uber, which at the time is still kind of a startup. I know it's probably starting that line now. Um, but that was a very big one. And then I had a couple of smaller ones when I got back to Canada. So I worked with uh, an aquaponics farm called Deepwater Farms that was establishing itself. And we were building our first commercial farm at the time. Um, so that was really interesting. And I was their sales and marketing manager, basically making sure they sell production. Um, and then I got on with a marketing tech company that was uh, more established, but... Um, kind of having an identity crisis between the service side of the business, which made money, and this, the product side of the business, which could potentially scale. Um, and I was also there trying to, trying to grow their revenue. So what for you um, has sort of drawn you or inspired you to sort of startups and entrepreneurship? So you said when you were working with that agency, you worked a lot with that. But was there something that sparked this curiosity around being in the in the weeds of the building and the innovation early earlier on in either your childhood or in school or was it truly the the tipping point that time at that agency working with startups and being exposed to it uh, that's a good question i feel like i rarely dive that deep into myself um i think there's a couple of pieces to it one is probably just pure luck like i think i ended up in an entrepreneurship program at a time when it was just launching and there was a ton of uh, startups coming out of my undergrad that were driven by this program and I was with them and I didn't have the money or the connections to start something at that time by any means. Um, so I didn't start it myself, but I became kind of a support guy and I would help my friends and their startups kind of, um, from the side as I got into it, I kind of realized that like I developed really specific skills that worked really well in these early stage companies. Um, I'm very much like a doer. I move fast. I, I'm uh, flexible. I try to learn very quickly. Um, and I have absolutely no fear of like knocking on doors and talking to people at random companies like Microsoft or something, um, which apparently a lot of people are concerned about. So th this skill set I developed and I realized this is actually really useful for this one thing. It's not that useful for other things. So I think that's what's kept me from going to like a big corporate job or something. I don't think I'm particularly useful in, in those other jobs. Um, so now I'm kind of on a path that I plan to continue on. Um, but that path ties into I think personal goals for me which is I really want to build like a better place to live so people can live richer more meaningful lives and I don't take it for granted that that happens without uh, entrepreneurship and people building big companies that can provide good jobs so what I want to do with with my skills is to build those big companies in the city that I love and to employ people that uh, need that work and can use that money to to thrive 
that's that's amazing that you found that fit. And was that always something that you sort of knew as a goal, like to to help kind of communities and employment around you? That that's sort of been something that's been core to a vision you've wanted to execute on. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, not just because I think we all like to live good lives ourselves, and we wish other people could live those lives too. But I, I did have some time in the nonprofit sector as well, which really made me think a lot about what it means um, to live in a, a world-class city. Um, so I worked for Habitat for Humanity, building, helping them build houses and doing their marketing communications for a bit. And um, just reminds you that there's many, many pieces to a, a successful, thriving community. And one of those pieces is business, which supplies a lot of the services and um, goods that people need to consume on a daily basis to live well. So that, that's amazing that you've sort of had these like experiences that, that built up to that. Now, I almost want to not drift past that advice that you kind of landed and, and maybe it was unintentional, but you were talking a little bit about skills that serve you well in a startup or as an entrepreneur. And I think you were mostly talking about sales and marketing, but obviously if you're uh, <laughs> a founder or a co-founder team, you need to wear multiple hats. So they're important there. Can you like list those again and, and talk a little bit about maybe what you think are the top one or two for people thinking and, you know, maybe reflecting on, do I have those skills or can I build those skills? Hmm. Totally. I think the biggest one I see, and this isn't just from my experience, but I work with thousands of entrepreneurs now that are customers. I talk to entrepreneurs every day. Uh, you want to be a generalist. If you're early in a startup, like you need to be able to do a bunch of different things. And like, if you can just do one specific kind of engineering or one specific email campaign sales strategy, uh, you're going to have a really hard time thriving in a startup unless you just happen to get lucky and hit one where that's actually the only thing they need. Um, so generalism is key. Uh, we're, we're, and, and to that point, like in, in many other industries, you people are like, no, you need to be the specialist, a deep knowledge expert. So actually, your first point is like the generalist capability of where you start to strengthen the, the different pieces, but the, the ability to be a Swiss army knife because no one else is going to do it otherwise is super critical in the startup space, whether you're the founder, co-founder, or even just part of the early stage team, being highly flexible is critical. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can think of it as like, what needs to be done? And if that thing isn't exactly what you specialize in, you have to be able to do it anyway. You have to be able to try it. Go it figure on. it out. Yeah. yeah you got to <laughs> get really good at search. Yeah, exactly. Like the solution isn't always search. Like we don't even run Google ads anymore. Like I was originally brought on because I was a specialist in Google ads. and I was really good at that. Um, turns out that actually doesn't work that well in an industry that's really saturated with that kind of stuff. And like there was a period during the pandemic when it was stronger because couldn't do any other stuff, but it's now weakening and it's no longer part of our mix. So if you can't roll with that, if that means you exit the company, then you're not going to have a good time to start up. Yeah, you need to be able to pivot. Can you talk about the door knocking bit? Uh, I think that's super critical. And like, did you have door knocking experiences through through any of your career or childhood that sort of you, you realize that you're really good at this thing? Because I, I think to your point, tons of people have a really hard time doing cold outreach and having those first dialogues like it gives people extreme stress and so i want to talk about it it sounds like you found yourself to be a natural fit at that and so talk to us a little bit about where where that developed from you think totally yeah it's 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 super normal and like uh i think one of the main things is you have to believe that you can help people and therefore that you're knocking on the right doors and that you genuinely can serve these people and and are providing value 
Because I think if you go in with the idea like, oh, I'm just intruding in your life, then you've already accepted that you're not going to be able to help them. Then like, why are you even knocking on that door? Like, go do something else. Um, but that's a little ahead of myself, I think. So from my own experience, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of kind of random uh, door knocking type things. I don't think I actually like was paid to knock doors at any point, but I used to, a um, little bit of an anecdote, but I was in university. I used to, for all these huge parties, uh, we'd have like big toga parties or whatever. Uh, and we'd go around the residence and we'd knock on every single door and invite every single person. Like, hey, we're having a toga party like tomorrow. Like, do you want to come and like give them like the invite thing? Or we'd be like raising awareness for some charity event or we have some like res event going on. So I did a lot of door knocking there. I started like really doing my, my sales career really started with Uber when we were selling Uber Eats. So um, in that case, I was selling to restaurants. And that was an interesting one because not only did I become comfortable like walking in the front door of a restaurant and looking for the owner, um, I found that you can get in really fast with the back door. <laughs> so if you just knock on the back door when they're closed, They'll open it thinking you're like a supply person. You can go in and uh, make your chat. And like, you really have to believe that you're doing a good thing for the restaurant. Otherwise, it feels very sneaky. But um, like nine times out of 10, you have an amazing conversation with the chef who owns the restaurant and it's kind of prepping for the day. Um, and it goes a lot better than going in the front when they're really busy and all that stuff. So I learned that. And then I did a lot of cold calling as well during that job. Um, that, that that's super. Other jobs. That, yeah, that's super clever. So did you think of the hey i'm just gonna go knock on the back door was this like some great advice that you got passed along it's super clever um but to your point you get to meet the people that maybe uh wouldn't be approached as often and, and it kind of tips things on its head a little bit totally no that was all me um i love in fact, it i think I, I was a big part of the reason why we did a lot of in-person stuff in australia and new zealand because like we were originally just selling by the phone like just calling into places but it's like you've got this tiny window between lunch service and dinner service to try and connect and like you're paid eight hours a day but only like call people like two hours three hours a day successfully the rest of it just pisses them off and then you're running out of restaurant leads so like we invented systems where it'd be like uh when we're launching in a new suburb we'd go to the suburb and we'd knock on all the restaurants because they're all clustered into like one street anyway it takes like a day you can get every restaurant in the suburb um and you can basically make that first connection and then you use that to book a meeting and then you're no longer intruding on their actual uh service time so there's little things like that that you learn pretty quick yeah and even just putting yourself in their shoes and pulling out those insights of knowing where you're a distraction versus you know when are some good times uh being confident that you're bringing value and that you can bring value because then everything after that's truly authentic you're truly truly trying to help them in the same way you're trying to you know do business and build a startup to help the community around you, which I think is is super cool. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit now about about Good Lawyer. Um, so I think before we dive in, I always like to to bring the the show's name to life, and we will start with your best elevator pitch, and then dive into some details from there. So Grant, your best pitch, please. Right on. So Good Lawyer is a platform for fast-growing companies that need reliable legal services at a price they can trust. Um, what we do is we connect you to uh, lawyers, if you're a founder or an entrepreneur, who can deliver the services for you. What that does is it cuts out the big firm overhead and basically reduces your cost by 50 to 30%. Um, it also lets you access really interesting niches, things like uh, startup financing or IP and health tech devices. Um, really easily, which are otherwise really, really hard to find. And getting the wrong lawyer in either of those cases can really ruin your business and waste you a lot of money. 
Uh, that's basically what we do. That's super cool. Now, um, how did it get started? So you said you were probably employee number one, but I'm sure you know a little bit of like the light bulb moment. Um, how did it get started? And what was sort of the core problem that inspired Good Lawyer? Totally. So we, were, uh, we approached it from the problem side. So a couple of lawyers going through law school uh, realized how bad the law firms actually are at operating. Um, they then went on to work in those law firms, kind of it was reinforced into them. Uh, and the main guy is Brett Colvin. Um, so he's our CEO now. Um, and it was really him who identified the problem. And he was working at Canada's biggest law firm. Uh, he was, I don't know, four years into his call. He was billing out around $500 an hour to clients uh, and taking home about 80 so it's like, where is the 420 bucks going? Like you're paying for a service from one dude. He's only getting like less than a third of it. Um, where's it going? And if the answer is it's going into overhead for like ridiculous offices, tons of support staff and like, which are used up on processes like trying to schedule a meeting with you, which could be a calendar, but no, it's a secretary. Um, and on to partner uh, cash outs. So at the end of every... Uh, quarter or a year, I can't remember which. Basically, all the profit in a law firm is just divvied up among the partners, and it's done. They don't. There's no incentive to reinvest. The structure doesn't really allow that. Um, so, and, and that also creates a structural issue with the partners because they're the oldest, most senior people in the firm, um, and they're the ones who have to make the call to invest for long-term things. But also, like, why would they? <laughs> like, they're going to be gone soon. They won't own any percentage of this law firm. They're not going to get anything from them when they're gone. Like. They might as well just squeeze all the juice until they leave because they're not getting it afterwards. Um, and they're old anyway. They're 60, 65, 70 years old. Like they don't need that much left to retire. So um, basically, so it really started with, yeah. So it started with like, hey, I'm a lawyer. I work in a system where I see massive amounts of overhead that feel like waste. And there's probably some way to deliver these services more efficiently where the lawyer makes more, the customer pays less. Um, and is that a general statement or like who uses, who uses good lawyer? Who's good lawyer focused on? You've mentioned like startups and founders a few times. Is that like your sweet spot or is it small businesses? What's sort of the, the spectrum of who would use good lawyer? Well, that's a, one of the fun things when you start with a problem for these kind of companies is like, we weren't really sure who would get the most benefit out of it. So like we tested a bunch of different markets. Um, the first one that really caught was small businesses and startups. So like really small companies, um, Mostly because they felt the pain the sharpest. Because if you're a brand new startup, uh, you get zero priority from these firms at all. Like you cannot get in touch with your lawyer. They will not email you back when you need them, unless you're lucky. Um, and your cost is still the same. Like you're going to be getting really, really high costs and really bad service. Uh, in fact, most of your work is going to be done by a student if you're a, a startup. So these people were pissed and we found them and like we presented our option, which is like you can go directly to a lawyer uh, who is at a solo firm therefore has none of that overhead and we'll put our service fee on there you'll still save like 50 percent, and you can get the same kind of service you'd expect from a large firm if you were a large client and they loved it so we ran with that for the last two years uh but we we're kind of gradually pulled up market by our customers themselves kind of growing and larger companies starting to use the platform and they realized that um if we added a few more features we could be quite appealing to these fast growing businesses which it kind of tend to have a headcount kind of between 50 and 200. Um, and for them, we invented a new product, which is called the Fractional General Counsel, which is where we'll put a lawyer on your team. Uh, and that lawyer is there like one day a week, maybe two days a week. And they're your general counsel. And they take care of everything. 
So like similarly, the cost savings are around 50% on a, for most of the clients we've placed so far. Um, but it allows them to uh, literally have a lawyer with like an internal email who can liaison within their company and take a bunch of work off the CEO's plate and manage outside counsel as well to keep the cost down. So that is now so you, our customer base. That was a very long answer to a very short question. No, no, no. So you sort of got two customers uh, and, or sorry, two, two models, if you will. The customers seem to be uh, similar, which is like startups or early stage right up to scaling up companies. And it started with a uh, billable hours model uh, almost like I don't know. Correct me if this is the inappropriate use of this, but like like a Fiverr a little bit, but within the the legal space. But yeah. then it also scales to like a more uh, a more regular legal support in the fractional type counsel, where it's like the generalist. I guess, I guess teach me a little bit about that. Like the you you mentioned some terms like solo, uh, you know, solo firm or independent firm of some kind. Um, and, and there's obviously the model where general counsel versus specialties, like how does this law space work? Totally. So in law, there are maybe like 10, what would we call big firms, which have kind of between 500 and a thousand lawyers on the team, uh, together, they own quite a bit of the market. Um, but I think only like, uh, less than 10% of lawyers work there. So if you're a strategic manager or an MBA or someone, you'd want to look at that and be like, this is a very fragmented industry. It's one of the most fragmented industries in the world. Um, the vast majority of the work is being done by solos. One, one person, legal shops where they do all the work themselves. These companies have the advantage of being much cheaper because they have no overhead. So they, they can cut all that out. Um, however, they're really hard to find, especially if you're looking for like a specialized thing. Um, and they... Uh, can have a hard time with the larger mandates. So you can't give a solo lawyer like a big litigation file or something because it's going to take a team of five to read all those emails to build your case in time for court. Uh, so there's certain things that solos just can't do. And the big firms really love those. They love those big litigation, big disputes between large companies. And they love like huge corporate financing rounds, M&A, uh, public market announcement, that kind of thing. Um, but the smaller firms serve basically everything else, all the contract work and that kind of stuff really well. So we work with the solo lawyers primarily. So we find one-man shops. Usually they used to work at these big firms. And uh, for being totally honest, they tried to have a family and have a life. Uh, and that doesn't usually work in the firms. They, the requirement is to build tons of hours to hit targets to maintain your path to being a partner. Um, if you want to have a kid, probably not going to happen. So a lot of these people burn out around 30 to 40 um, and start their firms. We work with those people. Wow. I had no idea. So um, that makes sense why why someone would want to make that switch, especially since it sounds like there's uh, maybe even better efficiencies on dollars per time at certain points in your career stage. Now, those complex examples, does good lawyer bring teams of lawyers together for those? Or do you focus on, hey, that's maybe not our um, bullseye of where we specialize. We specialize in the fact that there's some people that will handle the complex and we'll handle everything else. Do you do, you do both or how does that work? We uh, can handle the more complex stuff with small teams. We'll kind of assemble, um, but it's just harder. <laughs> yeah. It does. It happens less. We're okay to kind of quarterback it and make it work because we technically we can. We've got the legal expertise to do it. Um, 
but it becomes a little harder. Totally makes sense. And so you've got like firms um, who are obviously com- competitors to your service. Uh, you've got independent lawyers who I guess would be competitive if they're not running it through the good lawyer platform, but their challenge is um, being found and scale. So mm-hmm. you offer them the value. Where did um, other technology-based approaches fit into good lawyer, whether those be like legal AI tools. I'm not as familiar with the space, but I imagine there's, especially with AI becoming more prevalent now, I imagine there's some either templated solutions or AI solutions. Maybe some of that's baked into good lawyer or roadmaps. Like where, where does that fit in as a competitor to, to what you guys offer? It's a great question. Yeah. So like you said, you've got the law firms as the main competitor. There are these emerging legal tech companies, um, which as a rule, they try to take the lawyer out and they do one thing really, really well. So for example, uh, owner does a really, really good job of incorporating really small businesses. Like it's very smooth and efficient, um, but they, they lose flexibility as a result. So like uh, you can't use owner to incorporate outside of BC, Alberta or Ontario, for example. Um, and that's just, I'm using this as an example. This is yeah broadly applicable to basically all legal tech, whether it's contract generation, contract review, uh, cap table management, um, you gain yeah, basically a really cheap one feature thing that a lawyer does and you can't do anything else with it, uh, which is kind of cool because it gives us an opportunity. Uh, and the opportunity for us is to arm our users with these tools. Um, on the lawyer side, like we give our lawyers access to tools they otherwise wouldn't get because they're on their own. They can't afford these big firm tools. We use our buying power to get big discounts and give, give them all the solos in the network as if they were a firm. Um, so we can give them stuff like, uh, Thompson routers, like they're really good precedent libraries, which is what they call templates in law. Um, one of the ones we're working on right now is Spellbook, like, like chat GPT powered, uh, contract review tool, um, for word. It is very much in demo and it sounds like it's can produce some weird issues. Um, but, uh, that kind of tool would be what we want to give our lawyers. So they have superpowers so they can do their job better and so that we can all make more money. That that makes sense. So the in the technology realm, they're less competitors because you focus on the left to right. They're focused more specifically on an aspect of law. And you see those as tools that your lawyers, you can help bring to your lawyers, but at scale, otherwise they wouldn't be able to use such things. Um, and then and then all of those efficiencies and benefits get passed along to the end customer. Now our um so I guess you are you a two-sided marketplace or did the lawyers all work for good lawyer? Or how, how does that component work? Yeah, we'd be a two-sided marketplace. Uh, lawyers access the platform for free. Um, they have a yeah pretty easy go of it. So do clients really. The only time people get charged is when services are completed through the platform and then we take a service fee. So it's really similar to an Airbnb or an Uber or anything like that. Totally makes sense. Um, and the the rates for lawyers they set it themselves so is is it i'm like an airbnb or, or like a fiverr like i'm going out and looking across a variety of people that are offering their services and matchmaking a little bit to find who's right for me yeah so on rates we do three different things so uh for really standard projects we do what we call fixed fee services so like if you're incorporating as a standard batch of work and you should spend a standard amount on it kind of no matter which lawyer you go to um so we have a price for that it's 5.99 so you can see on our website you can book that all the lawyers will abide by that 
for that exact service. Um, however, that doesn't fit everybody. Like I just said about the legal tech stuff, like there's a lot of outside cases. So for example, if you wanted to do that same incorporation, but you wanted to put a company in, you know, extra provincially incorporate in three other provinces, uh, it's now more complicated. It's not three times more complicated. So it needs a kind of a custom uh, quote. So that's what we'll do is we'll give you a quote. Um, you can get a couple quotes from a couple different lawyers if you want. At the end of the day, uh, the client presses like accept on a quote and that's kind of what starts the work. Um, so they still have control of what the final price is and the lawyer is kind of obliged to stick to that final price. Um, the third kind of way we do billing is with our fractional model. So if you've got one of these lawyers on your team, what we'll do is just basically charge you monthly. So uh, you will work with you to build kind of your engagement. If it's going to be like uh, $3,000 a month or $10,000 a month and kind of the amount of uh, hours involved in that. And then you and your lawyer are responsible for managing the workload so that it stays within those hours. If it goes above or below those hours, there's things we can do, for example, rolling hours over or uh, using hours up early or even like putting engagement on pause. There's lots of flexibility there. But at the end of the day, the general expectation is that every month you'll get billed for the amount of time you're going to use. Got it. So there's like a fixed fee menu, uh, custom quotes for things don't that don't necessarily fit into the fixed fee menu or that build upon it. And then you've got the fractional uh, council component. Um, you guys obviously make your money by taking a, a small uh, service fee on those services exchanged. Um, and, and so, where where are you guys in your in your journey today? Um, how many people are using it? I, I, obviously, any numbers you can't share, don't. But like, where are you in the journey? Um, and and you know, how many people or lawyers are sort of on this type of a platform? And are you just in Canada, U.S.? Love to love to learn more. Great questions. So. Uh, for general traction, we've been at it for yeah, about three years. We've got about 5,000 paying customers on the client side now uh, and about uh, 100 lawyers delivering services actively in a given month. Um, in terms of revenue, I think we've done around 5 million now. Wow. Uh, Great work. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other traction, we recently closed our seed. So uh, we haven't announced it. I'm not sure if we're going to announce it, but uh, this, is <laughs> this is maybe the unofficial announcement. Yeah. Um, so that was around, I think, uh, anyway, it was a C. I think we raised around <laughs> 1.5 million on about a $20 million valuation. Amazing. Congrats. Congrats. It's a huge milestone. So you've basically proven yourselves well beyond sort of the MVP. You've got a bunch of paying customers. You've sort of really uh, honed in the uh, operating and business revenue models. And you've got, from the sounds of it, I, I don't know, 5,000 sounds like a great base of customers using um, these services because they're not a one-time customer, right? They're, they're multi-use uh, and hopefully um, hopefully frequent, frequent users of the platform. What's sort of the split today? And is that the desired future split when you think about fractional versus um, you know, fee for service? Yeah, I mean, fractional right now is probably like 20% of our top line. Um, it's growing really, really fast though. Like I suspect by the end of the year, fractional will be uh, 50% or more of our top line revenue. Um, so that's what we'll see. I cannot predict beyond a year. I just don't know what's going to happen. But right now it's growing very, very fast. Yeah, it makes sense. I have a friend um, who's doing fractional work as a, as a CMO. And I think the concept of fractional makes a lot of sense because sometimes it's not the fixed fee you need, especially to your point around startups. 
earlier on, even scale ups and probably all the way up to like series B, the the idea is like the roles aren't always perfectly defined and the outcome isn't perfectly defined, but you need like smart people with generalist skills in categories that can help drive strategy, drive execution, um, work across a variety of things. So the fractional piece, it doesn't surprise me that that's a, a really strong component. And it just seems to make sense. Like there probably is a threshold, I would imagine that you guys are either finding or will find that's like the tipping point of when you bring general counsel in-house. But until then, you, you kind of ride on the fractional right until you absolutely need to make the switch. I, I agree completely. I think you see it especially in what I would say is the other most popular fractional thing, which is uh, CFOs. Um, an experienced financial person on your team in a startup, especially where you've got really complicated financials, uh, is more than five times as valuable. Like one day a week from a senior person is more valuable than five days a week from a junior person. It's just, it's a fact. When you're taking in those finances and you're taking on huge task ri- tax risk and all those things, like, Fractional CFOs are flying off the shelf. Um, legal falls in the same category. It's like one day a week from an expert is better than five days a week from a law student. It just is. Yeah. So, and, and are there platforms for those too? Like, is there platforms for fract? I, I, maybe you don't monitor those pieces, but are there platforms for fractional marketers and CFOs that are, I guess, complementary services to what good good lawyer offers? Yeah, there's some good ones. I know uh, our friends over at Amplify do CFOs. Uh, I think a lot of the big accounting firms will actually do CFOs as well now. Oh. Um, Ken Salta is out of Toronto that does uh, general consulting for like strategy and things. And they're really, really good. They have some experienced people. Um, on the CMO side, I've got a few friends that do it, but none in the large, no large organizations. There's no like organization that brings them together in that way. Maybe maybe future uh, diversification strategies for good lawyers. <laughs> but the, the name kind of pins you to law for a little while though. Yeah. Um, cool if I ask like some tricky questions like there's just some things that are like burning in my mind that I know through startups I've talked to or uh even things where I've I've helped out but I, I imagine um you get the question all of the time when pitching or raising but what are like the hooks that keep people in the platform from both sides it's always like the it's always the two-sided marketplace debate when you create a good relationship why won't they leave and go outside of the platform so just curious if if you've got a thing you can talk about around that yeah it's a great question i think um the main one is actually the lawyers like People will ask our lawyers to leave the platform all the time, but they lose all the benefits they get from the platform when they do that. Um, so on that file, they lose all their admin and their billing and all that stuff, which is nice to have. It's not a critical thing. But more importantly, we'll kick them off the platform if we catch them. Um, so there's the carrot and there's the stick. And the, the stick is actually more significant because uh, lawyers can't live off that one client. Whoever that client is is trying to take them off the platform probably has one project worth like maybe $10,000 that's not enough to feed a lawyer that makes, you know, a quarter million a year. Like they're not going to risk the other 240,000 they would make through the platform if they, uh, to take the client off the platform. So the main thing is that our supply base is different. Lawyers themselves are, they have these different incentives. They're also honestly very, very good at following rules. And that makes sense because they study the law. Uh, and finally, um, we have a much smaller stable. Like there's only a hundred people on the platform, like them on the platform pretty easy to know them all by by name quite well. Um, so we trust them and they trust us and, and we're quite open about that. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It sounds like, and, and I think even the piece that you were talking about earlier around buying power, 
for certain uh, tools, technology, and services that they otherwise wouldn't have. Like the, I, I can imagine the only thing that would take someone off the platform is if they got some massive single client general counsel role where they were planning to leave anyway. Like, but but to your point, this is a demand gen engine for them. Uh, you've simplified a bunch of administrative burdens that they otherwise would deal with and you've added value from from a tooling perspective as well so it makes makes so much sense what would you say is like the competitive moat or do you have like something you guys think about as like a competitive moat a, a good lawyer that keeps others out of your space totally what's really interesting is like we're a marketplace like the you can study these models they all have similar moats uh the biggest one is actually customer base so like having a good team of lawyers on one side and a good team of users on the other is actually our main moat um, because that's where the value comes from. If a competitor starts up tomorrow and they don't have any lawyers, they have no value. Um, so that one piece is pretty standard. Unfortunately, that's a pretty shitty moat. It's shittier than like a patent or something. Like you ask anybody who works yeah. in these companies, like Uber is pretty easy to replace with Lyft. Like it's the same thing. <laughs> They've got the same drivers. Um, so we have to buy up a bunch of market share. Um, part of that is building a big brand. So we've invested heavily in our brand, uh, in making it authentic and fun and approachable and everything that a law firm is not. Uh, and it's paying off hugely because the law firms can't do that. So that one huge chunk of our potential competitive competition is just personalityless and gray. Like I would challenge anyone, even yourself to like name three law firms, <laughs> like, or even what's the biggest law firm in Canada? Like you don't even know, right? It's like, it's, they're so random. Um, so the brand is the other big part of the moat. Uh, I think actually think that's the main two. The third one I think is actually regulatory, uh, which makes it really hard to build this exact thing in the States. Uh, They've got certain rules that make it really difficult. And a couple of legal tech companies that have tried similar-ish models have been sued to death. So uh, are you you largely Canadian-based today? And, and yeah, primarily yeah, focused on the Canadian market? We're in Canada right now. Uh, got it. There are openings for us opening up in places. Um, like Arizona and the States and a few other places, but for now we're all Canada. Got it. Yeah. I, I guess like the legal system's quite different between the two. Um, I even, I think the American system's far more sue first, ask questions later. <laughs> so there's just going to be a, a inherently a lot of challenges, maybe more business opportunity. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but sounds, sounds super cool. And it's good to see how you guys are thinking about, you know, customer acquisition, brand value, are you working with like a ton of incubators and accelerators? They must like love what you're offering. Um, is that like a piece of, of your strategy and you're kind of wearing your C C R O hat? I feel like you're, yeah, you're studying my notes or something. Yeah. We, we work with tons of <laughs> accelerators and incubators. Like that's a big part of what we do. And um, it's lucky because we're also startups. So like we can actually use these programs and then we can kind of partner with them and, We've been through, like, we've been on, like, a two-year accelerator journey. I don't think we've stopped being in any accelerator over the last, pretty much the last two and a half years now. Um, but, yeah, we also form relationships. We'll send lawyers in to provide, uh, like, startup law information. We provide discounts. We provide uh, other things like that. But the main thing we do is we just actually contribute. It's like, we're in all these Slack channels. We're in these communities. Uh, and the law firms aren't. Like, they're just, they're just not there because these aren't the best clients for them. Like, when we do run into our competitors at these events, nine times out of 10, what they'll say is like, we should set up a system where we send you the leads we don't want. And we're like, sure. <laughs> like, <you laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, why um, not? Because <laughs> the truth is like, they, they just don't get hours for them. Like these, these are not 
clients that are spending a million dollars on a big litigation file. These are clients who are like, they don't know what they need to do about this insurance compliance thing that they are trying to disrupt and they have no money to get a, a full research opinion on it. They're yeah. small, smaller clients. What's like, I, I don't know if maybe that is all on the website already, but like, what's like the range of what a lawyer costs? Like, is it in hourly? Is it in your fixed fee menu? Is those generally like you've picked like the top 10 or 15 services that most people need and set like a fee on them? Yeah, so fixed fee is fixed fee. There's no hourly component to that. Okay. Um, but I think to understand how pricing works, like our lawyers range from 100 to $500 an hour. Uh, a pretty, like a regular partner at a big firm would be around 700 and they can kind of go up to like 1500 depending on how they go. Got it. So right off the bat, savings. And obviously, if people can snap into things that are already in your fixed fee menu, it sounds like that's going to be like the most accessible, you know, exactly what you're going to pay, which I think that's part of the challenge too, for people when probably dealing with large law firms like, oh, the I need blah, 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 how much is it going to cost me? It depends. And it sounds like your fixed fee menu, once you get started, is pretty open and transparent. You know exactly what the starting cost or maybe the entire cost will be as long as you're not customizing, which as a startup can be massively valuable to manage cash flow and unexpected costs are not what you want to start getting into when you're burning through cash. And especially if, you know, challenging economies like right now. Mm -hmm. Totally. And we research these costs to make them make sure that they're lower than the national average. Um, But the weird thing to remember is like how bizarre the outliers can be. Like I've talked to a lot of founders and heard a lot of horror stories, but like, couple that stand out to me is like one woman who literally gave 50% of her company to the law firm for the incorporation work. Wow. Um, like her company was essentially dead in the water from there. Like no one would invest in it. No one would touch it. It was garbage. Um, I had another person who spent 15 grand on their incorporation. And like, wow. like we do that for like 600 bucks. And that's like, you can also just go to the registry and incorporate yourself. Like at the end of the day, like this is a thing that people can do. Um, but some people run into these opportunistic situations or just bad luck or bad communication or whatever it is. And it ruins their company before they even get off the ground. And that makes me really sad. And that's one of the reasons why I really like what I'm doing because not only am I building a company for my own mission, but I'm helping other people build companies for their missions. And I, that's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I love that. Now, where are you guys based? Um, and, and how big is the team today? We're based in Calgary. Uh, we're up okay. around like 21 people, 22 people. And, but available, obviously, it's a digital platform, so available Canada wide. Yeah, and most of our lawyers are in Toronto, so okay, the majority yeah. of our uh, network is there. Wow, and uh, but majority of the team are out in out in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, if you're ever coming down to Tor- Toronto to visit the lawyers, uh, I, let well, me know. And we'll, we'll, meet up. we'll be down there for a few things, but um, okay, collision. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what's hilarious? I almost need to book a day and a half of just filming and recording podcasts during collision, the number of founders who I've talked to who are either coming back during collision or we're going to be in town during collision. I might just like book an entire day at my house of like, Hey, we were just hosting a party upstairs and like back to back podcast recording downstairs. It just feels like I should do something like that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, Count us in. Yeah, we're uh, right. one of the things we do every year is, or we did it last year. And now we're going to make it every year is we hold this big yacht party uh, Ooh. at collision. So it's this like, wild kind of invite only uh, experience on the boat and um we're looking forward all to right that. well well you know you know my email now so we we, we gotta we'll sync up on timing i'll host my my backyard party a different day 
So we'll, we'll coordinate that whole week. That sounds super sounds cool. Great. So what, what's been like that, that in itself is cool. So maybe that is like the highlight, but what's been sort of like the coolest or most interesting piece of, you know, what you've been working on at, at Good Lawyer uh, as part of the journey? I, I think that is actually a big part of it. Like, because we are based in Calgary, which is very much isolated from the rest of Canada. Um, but when I fly to Toronto and I fly to Montreal, when I fly to Vancouver uh, to a tech conference or something, I run into our customers there. And that is the coolest thing because like you meet someone you've never met before. He's like, Hey, it's good lawyer. And they like, they tell you about their experience and how like, you know, we got this thing done for them and it's patent or whatever. Um, it just, it never gets old. I love it. Yeah. Just like the, the meeting people who you've impacted, um, because you don't know every one of their names you have 5,000 people and growing, but, but when you have those experiences, it's super cool. And if you're anything like me, you get to support them through legal. I, I just love doing this. I could, if I, if someone, I mean, I guess if one day you heard it here first on the pitch, please podcast, if Mike Thibodeau mm-hmm. is ever rich enough to be a VC, literally that's what I'm doing with my life. Like if I can just <laughs> talk to startups businesses, small businesses, people trying to change the world to learn about what they're up to, ask questions just to be curious. Like I could just, I could do this for hours a day and never get bored. It would, it would be the best. What, what would you say? Um, what's like been the biggest, like low or most challenging thing that you sort of encountered or or gone through as a, as an individual or team with a a good lawyer? Lowest low. Um, I I think it was certainly hard during COVID just because it was like depressing not to see everybody. Like it's a, we're going to start up kind of sucks when we are just like sitting at home on zoom. Um, but that wasn't lowest. I think, I mean, part of it, uh, I'll just like open this up because I think a lot of founders feel this way. We never talk about it. Um, it can get quite conflicted with, within the founding team. Like we've got mm-hmm. some pretty ferocious arguments. I know, uh, sometimes we'll use very strong words and go home mighty pissed or stay till late to try and work it out. Um, so I'd say there's lots of conflict in there. Uh, we resolve it and we get through it and we keep working together. And I wouldn't trade anyone on the team for anyone else. I think we've got a fantastic team. Um, but I think I'd be lying to say that we don't fight sometimes. No, I'm glad you addressed that. Like, I think some people just think like, oh yeah, you just, everything goes the way you, you expect it and everyone's just happy and things just, there's definitely in every startup's journey, hard, difficult discussions and there's going to be emotions and things that are said but i think the idea is can you work through them as a team does it make you better uh you know allowing yourselves to make wrong decisions along the way that you iterate upon and learn from versus like holding them against people you really you know it's kind of cliche but it's that growth mindset like if you're not willing to like work through those things, fail a couple times, not hold it against people. You're not really going to build something that continues to get better. So I'm glad you you address it. Is there something that you guys do that you find works well when you're having those challenging dialogues or debates? Um, and, and I'll give you an example. I was talking to the team at Dine the other day. Whenever they have a really difficult decision or discussion, um, and they're a food uh, a food app that helps with meetups at, at different restaurants. So it's huge for foodies. But their number one restaurant they go to when they're having a dialogue is one of the founders' hosts. Uh, 
and cooks dinner and over the food they dialogue until it's done is there something that hopefully you guys don't get into like a legal like you have a pop-up courtroom (laughs) or something like that i don't know like yeah yeah (laughs) like what 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 do you do you guys have like a best practice or something that you find works works well for for working and hashing through those tough tough dialogues uh we really don't (laughs) if anyone's got any tips (laughs) let me know uh the only thing i think we've done that's pretty good was we did an offsite retreat at one point where we like uh just did all the strategic planning and like multiple day weekend kind of thing which i think sometimes it just takes time to reach alignment and those discussions were happening basically at like basically we have a meeting from like four till eight (laughs) during the work week which was just stupid like everyone was tired and pissed and like and hungry and their girlfriends are waiting for them to be at home so like having the offsite really helped us like allocate the time for the those alignment conversations which are definitely the most painful and kind of approach it at least fresh so that's my my fun tip but we're learning as we go yeah i mean i i think that's like in itself partially great advice as well because sometimes allocating time to patiently have the entire dialogue the pressure cooker component is great some moments but otherwise like someone may not be fully present because they're stressed that they have to make it home for something. And so emotions or dialogues can fly in different ways in unintended ways. And so I think setting aside space and time when people can be fresh to have those and, and um, where when possible, bringing the team together for those really hard dialogues. I know like during COVID things were challenging, but um, virtual is great for a lot of things, but sometimes some of those harder dialogues uh watching people's body language facial expression the tone like it's harder to it's harder to hate somebody when they're like you know just within arm's reach of you 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 sort of get into a different um state of empathy a little bit so i I think that's great advice um thanks for having me mike and yeah yeah questions appreciate it yeah and like next next like six months what does the next like six months have in store for good lawyer you just raised a, a seed round heard it here first maybe only um like what's sort of like the next six month horizon and some big rocks of things you guys are trying to unlock totally i mean we're grinding like we our strategy for this year is to like really uh just tighten up our financials and our bottom line uh because the environment's really top security right now we're not sure when it'll return or if it'll return. So we just want to make sure we're in a good position. Um, we got lots of runway right now, but we don't want to be short on runway at the end of the year. We never want to beg, we never want to go to business. So we're uh, basically driving to make as much money as possible in the next six months. Um, and so far it's looking pretty good. This year's off to a great start. Amazing. And if people are looking to uh, find out more or if there's things they could do to help you move faster obviously i there'll be a wide variety of people listening what are sort of like the top two or top three asks that you would kind of put out there and we can make sure they're included in the show notes as well totally well if you know anyone who uh needs a fractional general counsel that's number one um if they're kind of a growing business that is finding themselves spending way too much on outside counsel this is the perfect time to give it a shot um obviously you're not going to try to push anything on you but we'll help you identify if that's a good fit for your business at this time um similarly if you uh, know anyone we should talk to in the community who works with these kind of scale-ups always happy to take an intro um, you can just hit me up on linkedin or shoot me an email it's just grant at goodlawyer.ca that that's awesome and um are you guys looking to bring on more lawyers at this time as well or incubators things of that nature yeah if you've got a good lawyer uh let us know if you've got a good incubator or 
startup support program, that's good to you. Just uh, feel free to make the intro. I'd love that. That's awesome. And I feel like there's probably some path. I, I don't know that I have anyone specifically in my network, but I know you mentioned owner earlier and they're part of RBC, but I almost feel like there's like an amazing bank synergy here uh, across all of their small business teams that I'm sure if they're listening in uh, and they want to be the the bank of the future, they probably would want to reach out to good lawyer if they're not already in talks and, and jump all over that with their advisors. Totally. Cool. Um, before we wrap up, there's one thing uh, I make every guest do, Grant, and that is uh, I learned the hard way that saying pitch please podcast over and over is really hard. <laughs> so yeah. I let you take as many sips of water as you need and see how many times you can say pitch please podcast fast in a row without screwing up. I keep count. I'll never tell you where you rank. You'll have to listen to the other podcast to see if you're at the top or the bottom but I'm going to have to do something for the person that ends up at the top. It feels like it's going to have to be around collision time, I guess. Um, there's going to have to be like a free bottle of tequila waiting for the winner of that at my house or something <laughs> along those lines. So when you're ready, Pitch Please Podcast as many times fast. I'll keep count. Let's hear it. it. Uh, pitch Please Podcast, Pitch Please Podcast, Pitch Please Podcast, Pitch Please call like ah, I'm fucked up. Ah, you're four, <laughs> four. I don't know that. I don't even know if that's, I, I, that might not be the worst. There might be less than four out there. Um, but again, you're gonna have to listen and hear either way. Maybe, maybe four gets you the bottle of tequila. Um, <laughs> I love it. Grant, thanks for, thanks for hopping in today. Love the dialogue. Love to hear what good lawyers up to and, you know, your own aspirations to help the community around you and help other startups and small businesses thrive. Any closing words on your end? No, just thanks for having me. and. I hope we uh, talk again soon. Thanks again, Grant. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. <laughs> Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform.